Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on business, investing, and finance. I like to bring on guests to hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. We all want to make sure we don't lose money with investing, especially scams. The question is, how do you identify scams early so you can run the other direction? My next guest is a fraud specialist who's been on the show before, and in this episode, we dive into FTX and understand what really happened. Please note, the recording of this episode was on December 14th, while Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX was in court. My guest was careful not to classify the scam as fraud in the episode for legal reasons, but as of December 15th, it was confirmed that Bankman-Fried was charged with multiple crimes, including conspiracy, fraud, money laundering, and campaign finance violations. This is a very fascinating episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Please welcome Robert Persichitti. Robert, welcome back to the show. I'm happy to be back. Good to have you here. Yeah, thank you. I am really excited about this episode because we're going to be diving into scams. I just for context, I love watching or reading books on because um, they're great lessons learned, like the Theranos situation or the WeWork situation, you know, the books and the the documentaries. It's And we're probably going to see something like that on this in the next few years on Netflix or Hulu. But we're going to be talking about the FTX scam. And you're an expert in the area, of course, financial planning and tax and tax fraud and, and everything really in between. So I'd really love to hear your perspective on this situation. Take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a fraud examiner, and we fall under the umbrella of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. And we, as an organization, are very cautious because we work with law enforcement all the time, and we work with judges and juries all the time. And something that is a little bit tricky that I love to really explain, flesh out, make sure everybody understands, is what is fraud? And I think it gets thrown around a lot by the media. It gets thrown around a lot by people who are out there. And fraud, it would be unethical for me to call FTX fraud yet. Only a judge or a jury can call something fraud. Fraud is only something once it has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime has been committed. That's a determination for the courts. So I'm very, I want to be very precise. FTX has a lot of the characteristics of fraud. There's a lot of evidence to support that fraud has occurred. And there's been an indictment. There's been an arrest. We're going to have a trial and we're going to have probably a jury trial to tell us definitively, was that fraud or was there something else going on? Now, when we really look at, and when you really break it down, there's different levels of what happened here. There's all the way, potentially, up to fraud. And at least the prosecutors think, yeah, fraud was likely there. There's evidence of it. But there's also some pieces of it that are just a really bad deal. They're a ripoff. And there's some pieces of it that are just maybe bad investments, mistakes, or some bad assumptions that went through there. And when we lose money, I think the gut reaction for anybody who loses money is, I was fraud. I got, I, you know, fraud happened to me. That's the only way that I could lose money. But 
there's a lot of ways to lose money. This is a big and beautiful world with lots of different issues that happen. And so I, I really want to talk to you today about some of them. Great. FTX is a wonderful case study because I think we have evidence of all three. We have evidence of everything going on there. So I'll kind of start on the low end, right? Just a bad investment, some bad assumptions. People invested in the FTX coin as an underlying investment in the company. I Basically, I'm giving Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, I'm giving him and this company, FTX, my money so that they can invest it. And they're going to be a bigger, more profitable company in the future. And I'm going to get it back, right? Basic finance theory, the basics of how finance works. Now, they made some assumptions there. They made some very big assumptions. One, they assumed that when they gave him money, he was going to use that money to improve the business, right? Looks like that probably wasn't true. That probably wasn't what he was doing with it. Number two, they assumed that that company was going to get bigger and more profitable in the future. As we can see, that turned out not to be true. Now, uh, that by itself, if you just went in with those assumptions, those guesses about the future, that was just a bad investment. You as an investor may not have done your due diligence. If nobody lied to you, nobody told you something was going to happen when it really didn't happen. If they just said, this is my plan, that's just a bad investment. Now, this is what Elizabeth Holmes tried to use in her court case. She tried to say, no, 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 I, I thought I could do it. And we all just assumed that it was possible. And it turned out it wasn't possible. We just made bad assumptions, right? She makes a very good point that there's a fine line of being optimistic about the future of your company and lying about the future of your company. So if she says, I think we'll have a machine that can do this in the future, right? That's not fraud. That's her trying to sell something. Right. That's just, you know, regular business, regular investment. Now, where hers crossed over into fraud, according to her case, is where she did fake demonstrations saying, I already have this technology. We already did this. And misrepresenting that product, it exists as a prototype. That was untrue. That was a lie. That's where her case crossed over to fraud. But companies fail all the time, very common. And that by itself is just an investing mistake, right? If you invest in a company, your assumptions end up being not true. That was a mistake. It's not fraud. Mm -hmm. Next, we have a ripoff, or what I like to call a ripoff, where you probably could have seen it coming, right? If you were paying attention to everything that every, everyone was saying, you probably could have known, right? Now, most people who invest in it didn't know about this and, and they weren't sure. And they didn't ask the follow-up questions. They didn't say, what happens if? And for FTX's case, this is going to be the margin accounts. Those margin accounts did say, hey, you can take my stuff and lend it out to other people. You don't have to have my assets in my little room. You can do whatever you want with it as long as I get it back, right? You promise that you're going to get it back. Now, where this became a ripoff is they didn't read the fine print. And FTX didn't really talk about the fine print there. 
And they didn't really say, well, what's your vetting process? How are you going to be sure that I'm going to get my money paid back? What types of investments are you going to get? What types of interest are you going to get? And I think most consumers, if they knew that, and you know, they read through those full, you know, when you click, I agree, mm-hmm. right? We don't think about it a lot. If you read through that, you'd be able to find some indicators. I'm seeing a lot of these in the market right now where it is there, the information's there, is just hard to find and it's not up front. And people aren't reading their contracts. When you get a 50-page contract written yeah. in legalese that says, hey, we can, uh, we can terminate your investment and take all your money back at any time. Whoa, really? <laughs> and that is disclosed. We can terminate withdrawals at any time. Whoa, uh, right. that is a big risk. That's a big problem. I want to be aware of that. Why is that buried on page 38? <laughs> it's not fraud. They told you, you just didn't know about it. Yes. Right. That's a ripoff. That's a ripoff. And those, I would say, are probably the most common thing. And we can think about it in terms of investing. We can think about it in terms of our life. Uh, I was, I, I, you know, I just got ripped off. I was on vacation. I paid for some theater tickets. They gave me bad theater tickets, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. They didn't give me what I paid for. And then they said, hey, in the terms and conditions here, if you look on you know, page 15 of the terms and conditions, we're allowed to do this. We're allowed to not give you what you paid for. It's like, oh, if I only knew that when I was signing up, I would have never done it. I, mm-hmm. if, I, if I only had that piece of information, that would I, I wouldn't have even considered this, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't, have time to do that. I don't have time to do that unless it's something that's really, really important. And when you're working with your life savings, when you're working with your investments, it is really important. And especially for the types of investors that were here where they're taking very, very aggressive positions, very risky positions where you know the risks are there, it's even more important to understand it, right? That was a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Now, where the prosecutors think it may have been fraud and where I think we have a lot of evidence of fraud is in the folks who thought their investments were being stored one-to-one. And they had the promise, if you give me your money, your money is here in this little box and nobody can touch it but you, right? That was the promise. The reality was, no, we're not keeping track of this. We know we got the money. It kind of moved around, but uh, we don't have an account for you. Now for a, let's say like a traditional bank, an FDIC insured bank, we have bank examiners coming in, right? They are making a similar promise, right? They're saying for the assets that we have, on the books for what we owe you, we have some assets that could satisfy it. And they are, you know, it might not be cash, but they're reasonably safe and they meet the criteria for us to call this uh, a time deposit account or, or whatever, a savings account or check, whatever. They have bank regulators going in and checking on that. And that is a very tedious job if you think accountants are boring. Go meet a bank regulator. We're going to look like uh, <laughs> rock stars. <here>. Yes, <laughs> it's a very it's a very tedious job in most instances. 
because most of these organizations know someone's looking over my shoulder. I'm not going to try to pull anything. And so you're just going and you're checking through thousands of accounts and, you know, looking, adding up the numbers. There were no controls in, 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 in the business. A control, uh, what an auditor means by a control is something that's in place to help further the mission, to help make sure that our company's not going off the rails here. So I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. Um, having a policy where somebody has to sign off on every transaction or every, every, uh, yep. every time money's flowing out, that's a control right? It makes it more difficult to steal money from the organization. And they can take a lot of different forms. I won't get into the details on it, but just about everything at your job that is inconvenient for you is probably a control. Mm. Some auditor probably put it there. And if you look at it and say, this is stupid. Why do I have to do this? Well, probably the reason is they didn't have that before and someone stole money. So they had to add something in to make sure that Nothing gets stolen again. So why do I have to badge in and out individually? Well, that's a control. So we know who's where. Why do I have to log in every time? Why can't I share my password? All of those pieces, that's because there was a problem and an auditor caught it and put something in place to fix it. Those are controls. According to the folks who are looking at FTX now, the the congressional testimony, They just didn't have any controls. There were no controls whatsoever. So you had a giant pile of money sitting in the Bahamas somewhere, a bunch of people with access to that pile of money, and they took it. They took it and they used it for other things other than what the clients were working with. I get really frustrated in this case because everybody wants to compare it to something that we know. They want to compare it to Enron. They want to compare it. I've heard a lot of comparisons to Lehman Brothers or or, um, Bear Stearns. And I'll tell you a little bit about the similarities and then why it's completely different. (laughs) So the similarities, the similarities between Enron and FTX are basically that people lost money and that's where it stops. <laughs> they, got the, okay. they got the new CEO coming in to unwind everything. That's the same guy. And that's where the similarities stops. Enron was phenomenally complicated. Enron had layers upon layers. And with Enron, pretty much everybody in the industry was either fooled or paid off. And that's why it got so big. And that's why they were able to do it to the extent that they were able to do it. It was also huge. At the time, Enron was the seventh largest company in the world. FTX is is a little blip compared to them. So we don't have that comparison. That is not there. The other comparison is Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers. And basically what happened there is there were a lot of smaller investments. They didn't do their due diligence, and then it kind of trickled up. So as the subprime mortgages started collapsing, then the bigger companies started collapsing. Now, I should clarify, those were just mismanagement. Nobody ever accused them 
nobody indicted anyone for fraud. Nobody tried to put someone in jail for fraud for those companies. It was just, hey, we were overly aggressive. We made a mistake. We made a mistake. And FTX is not like that either. (laughs) It certainly didn't help them that their little components were falling apart. But even if that were to continue, there's no guarantee that they wouldn't have collapsed a few months later anyway, because there were no controls. Anybody could just grab cash from it. And at a certain point, that becomes unsustainable. That was the catalyst. The underlying investments collapsing was a big part of the catalyst of why they had this trouble. But they would have had that trouble eventually because all the money was flying out the door. So those are kind of some of those differences. Mm -hmm. I go back to FTX. Sam Bankman-Fried wants people to believe that this is complicated. It is not complicated. Fraudsters often hide behind complexity and they hide behind what you don't know because the way our brains work, most people just shut down. And they say, well, I assume someone knows it or this fits into my general story. I don't need to ask any extra questions here. I'm just willing to accept it. And so it's really not that complicated. Um, Sam Bankman-Fried's company, Alameda Research, had money that was supposed to be held in client accounts. They spent that money or something happened to that money. We don't know where it is, um, but very likely it was spent by someone because we didn't have any controls. And if you think of the movie Dumb and Dumber at the end where the briefcase mm-hmm. goes flying open and it's just a bunch of IOUs, uh, that's kind of what happened. Of No, those are just as good as cash. I promise. We're going to pay back every penny. <laughs> sure. Uh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And so we now have to kind of wait to see. Now, there's one more. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz here, Sean. Please do. What, in addition to lying, so you got to lie, you got to get money. In addition to those elements, what is the most difficult element of a fraud case to prove? Compared to this third element, those other two are easy. So what do they have to prove for this to be called fraud? I'm I'm thinking about uh, their early, early comments is... um, or, or not proof. I would say maybe the proof that the money is not in the accounts. Maybe I'm getting too technical. So that's not that's not enough. Um, so let's say hypothetically, right? Sam Bankman-Fried went in, spent all the money, right? He just spent all of it, right? I don't think that's what happened. But let's say that's what happened. They would have to prove what was going on in his heart. And they would have to prove that he had an intent to defraud. So a perfect, this is advice to any of you aspiring fraudsters out there. Anybody who wants to steal a bunch of money, they have to prove that you knew what you were doing. They have to prove that you had intent to take the money. Mm -hmm. And if it was a mistake or an accident or mismanagement, might be gross negligence. Um, but that is different than fraud. Gross negligence is different than fraud. They have to prove in most jurisdictions that you had the intent to do it, that you intentionally took this money and you weren't planning on giving it back or you, right. no reasonable person would believe that 
you you had it uh, to give it back. That's extraordinarily difficult to prove. And top of mind, Elizabeth Holmes's case is one of the more recent cases that we can look to. The way that they proved it is by looking at things like text messages and looking at things like emails of, hey, this is all, uh, you know, she had the text messages back and forth. This is all going to blow up in our faces. They're going to, they're going to, you know, people are going to find out and no, just keep going. Right. Right. Those types of those pieces of evidence prove it or help to prove it to a jury. And we still kind of need to figure that out. And I think possibly what uh, Sam Bankman Fried's thought process is, is if I could just prove I'm incompetent, I won't go to jail. I'll lose all my money. All these people will sue me. Everyone's going to be very mad at me. But if I can prove I tried my best and I took all the reasonable steps to protect this money and I'm just bad at business, that's a viable defense. You know, I I had one of my favorite accounting teachers in college. He told me, he said, I swear, if you're ever on trial for fraud, I'm going to be a character witness for you. And I'll say, Robert had no clue what was going on. He sat in the back of the classroom. (laughs) Whenever I asked him a question, it was a blank stare and abject terror on his face. I would want that at my trial. I would want somebody to say that because we have to prove what was going on before we can call it fraud. It's one of the key elements that, that are in there. Right. Let's take a quick commercial break. Have you ever lost money in the stock market? Maybe you heard or saw a comment on YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, or another social platform, or maybe you just received bad advice from a friend. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Most people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions. What if you could remove emotions from investing? What if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic? And what if there's a software that could handle that logic for you? Introducing Ticker, a platform that helps you manage your investments with confidence. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, ticker.com. All right, back to the show. I want to dive into some of this and give my own perspective, but I really appreciate breaking down the three different categories there. Like it's a bad investment, it's a ripoff, or it's fraud. And I think a lot of people listening, and even myself, I can... I can put events in my history into those buckets. For example, fun little story, I'll make it really fast with a ripoff is uh, my wife and I, we love doing different trips around the world. We went to Mexico. We like booking excursions, whether it's uh, snorkeling or whatever. And you're supposed to book those excursions at the resort. You know, there's people behind the gate. They're in the perimeter. They've paid or they're part of the system. Well, we made the mistake of spending 200 bucks for somebody at the airport who could book us an excursion we never got the excursion or our money back. We're supposed to show up at a certain location. And we're like, we know better than this. This was a stupid mistake. We got ripped off, slap on the wrist, (laughs) moving on. Definite rip off, you know? Um, With the situation of fraud, you know, I think it's really important for listeners to, you know, be really wary of what you're getting into if it sounds too good to be true it typically is you know with high guaranteed returns um, if it's something new that's not vetted um, even if there's a lot of big names jumping into it still like kevin o'leary jumped on cnbc i don't know if you saw his video but 
I really appreciate it. He admitted, all right, he made a stupid mistake. This is a stupid mistake. A lot of people followed him. He got paid like $15 million or something like that to promote FTX. And he admitted he was wrong. And I really appreciate that. But a lot of people see a Kevin O'Leary type figure, right? Getting into investments are like, well, Kevin's behind it. Well, I'm going to do it. And we as investors, we got to throw a flag on the plane and be like, whoa, 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 this is new. Seems too good to be true. I'm going to hold off on this. Um, so that's just my thoughts there. Yeah, too, I mean, too good to be true is one of the key indicators. And the better something is, the more questions that you have to ask. Yeah. And so when you have somebody saying, I can guarantee you 15%, first ask, well, if that's true, why isn't you know the big, the big players, why isn't Goldman Sachs just going mm -hmm. all in on this investment? Yeah. Why isn't everybody in this one investment? And really, when I break it down, I break it down into three questions of, number one, how am I going to get paid back? Yes. How are they generate? How, where does that 15% come from, right? Did they increase their profits by 15% by doing this? Because if you could do that guaranteed, that's great. How did you miss that opportunity for so long, right? How do, they, how do you get your money back? Number two, are they ignoring or hiding something from me, right? Are there risks involved that they're not saying? Is there, what, what is backing that guarantee? What prevents me from losing my initial deposit? Are there any strings attached to that, right? What are the risks? There's always risks with any investment. And if someone says something is guaranteed, ask more questions. How is it guaranteed? Who's going to guarantee it? What happens if the guarantee gets broken? And, num and it really dovetails into number three of does this person do what they say, right? So with all the problems that it has, right? Legally, insurance companies can slap the word guaranteed on some of their annuity products, right? Now, they, if you read the fine print, they're only guaranteeing a very small portion of that, right? It's not the whole investment. There's still risks that are involved on it. But we can look and say, oh, hey, my state insurance board is looking at this. They're looking over your shoulder and they're making sure that when you tell me that my assets are held somewhere, that you're really going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's just, you got to, I'm in the Bahamas and you got to take my word for it. Well, is that person trustworthy? Are they trustworthy right. enough to get that money? What have they done to earn that trust? And I'm not saying that state boards or the SEC or you know, FTC, I'm not saying that any of these organizations are perfect, right? Things slip through the cracks all the time. But at a bare minimum, you have some level of accountability there. And the more questionable these investments are, the more you have, and we can look at FTX, the Department of Treasury was saying, hey, watch out. We don't regulate this because that's outside of our zone of control. We're not, we're not, we can't just pick things to regulate. They have to pass laws. We can't regulate this, but I really wish we could because here's all these reasons that you might get ripped off. Right. And lo and behold, they ended up being true. Um, less than a month after that, you have a lead analyst from the Wall Street Journal saying, nobody could have possibly seen this coming. Like, well, if you read your own newspaper, you could have seen it coming because mm -hmm. you put an article about mm -hmm. the, the, the Treasury's warning on it. We had experts saying, look out, watch out. And even if we don't have that developed, that too good to be true o meter, 
Yep. Um, we have to figure it out. And just because something sounds like a good deal doesn't mean it's necessarily a scam or a ripoff. You just have to answer those questions first. Right. I, I want to dive into real quick here, human psychology of like um, the momentum of making a mistake and then trying to get out of it. And, and I'll give an example here. There have been certain situations, and I remember watching a docu-series. I don't know if it was on Hulu or what, but it was it was like a series of eight episodes, eight different, we'll say eight is the number. I'm not sure if that's it, but eight different scams. And what happens is somebody makes a mistake. For example, there was this one kid who he was investing for his clients. He was a college student. And what happened was in order to make up for the losses of one customer, he was taking the investment from another customer, essentially the definition of a Ponzi scheme. And he did it once. But the problem is he didn't phrase it this way, but is essentially what I'm about to say is he couldn't hit the reverse gear. He couldn't back out of it and made it, admit he made a mistake. And he just kept going forward and saying, okay, so I lost money with this person. Now I lost money with this person. So I got to raise more funds for more people to bring money in. And he kept getting in deeper. And I feel like these people, maybe it is complete negligence to start. And then they start devising a scheme with intent thereafter. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. So a lot of the fraud literature points to this, and it is so important that in, as part of a fraud investigation, we're supposed to keep it in mind that a rationalization is one of the elements to look for in fraud risk, right? So if you've heard of the fire triangle, right, we have these three elements, then fire exists. We also have the fraud triangle, it's based on the same principles, mm. where there is a opportunity there is a pressure, and then there's a rationalization. Our opportunity is that we can take money, right? In FTX's case, a big pile of money that nobody's looking after. That's our opportunity. We have our pressure. Pressure can be in, either internal or external. Um, sometimes pressure can be low enough as I want to buy something and I don't have enough money for it. Typically, in these cases, we see something a little bit more... Uh, a stronger pressure there. So like in your case, I wanted to serve my clients better. So I thought it was okay. to. I, I, I was doing it for them. And a lot right. of financial statement fraud, you hear people saying, I didn't want people to get laid off. I lied about the company's books because I didn't want people to lose their jobs. Hmm. And then you have a rationalization. And this is the part that I think you're really getting to of we are all the hero of our own story. And I'll tell you, this working working with the courts, these are people that have already been convicted of a crime. They already had their day in court and the jury said, you committed fraud, right? All of universally, I did not meet a single person who took responsibility for their own actions. And they say, well, I just got mixed up in this. Or, oh, if I, I, I could have paid everyone back if I just kept going. And a lot of times that's incremental where great example was somebody who was taking checks from her employer. Um, she was uh, basically a administrative assistant to the CFO of the company. And she was in charge of the checkbook for some reason, right? That was a, that was a mistake on their part. There's her opportunity. And she kind of started with very small transactions and like, I'm going to buy lunch or I'm going to pay for parking at the airport, right? Mm. Relatively small transactions. 
And then she got more comfortable with it. And she started to invent these new rationalizations of, well, if I'm getting away with it, then everybody's doing it. It's just how the company operates. Everybody's stealing from the company. It's not just me. Everybody's doing it. So it's okay. And it progressed and it progressed further and further. Further, And she was eventually apprehended. Um, I love this story because it's such a stupid way to get caught. She had the company checkbook. She went to buy a house with the company checkbook, the whole house. <laughs> and she was at closing and the title insurance company said, well, we need certified funds. But you know, this, this, was, <laughs> this was before the housing uh, crisis. Title companies were a little bit more uh, lenient back then. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, we can just we can just call the bank and see if they'll certify the funds. And they called the bank. They didn't tell her. They called the bank. They called the number on the check and said, "Hi, I have a, a LB here trying to buy a house with the check." And I'm like, "Oh, well, let me check the signature cards." Huh? She's not on those signature cards, and so they notified the company and she was apprehended on the spot. Um, My gosh. Before trying to buy a whole house, uh, before trying to buy a whole house, she embezzled about, uh, I think hers was about a quarter million dollars. Wow. And it was just small. And then it got bigger as it went along. That is very, very much the pattern for these cases. And everybody, Everybody that I've ever worked with, it's very commonly documented. Everybody has a rationalization. And I believe, you know, back to FTX looking at Sam Bankman-Fried, I believe that he believes his own lie that I thought we could pay it back. I thought it didn't matter, right? I think he really believes that. Yeah. And it's because living with the guilt, living with that challenge really weighs down on a person. And uh, one of my favorite quotes from Bernie Madoff, uh, it was his son, when he was arrested, he was quoted saying, I wish they caught me years ago. And later explaining what happened, it just got away. It just got away from yeah. me. I started with one lie that I thought was trivial, and then I started adding more to it. And I was in so deep, I couldn't, I couldn't get out. I was buried under this. And, you know... Here's the world's smallest violin playing for all the fraudsters there. Uh, yeah, it, it was sure, very, surely very stressful for them. But uh, they make those justifications and rationalizations and they yeah. do some insane mental gymnastics to yes. get to the point where they are comfortable with it. And yeah. another one, very, very emotional, very deeply touching. There was a woman who basically took advantage of a uh, an older man and he was alone. He didn't have any family. Um, he probably needed to be in some type of memory care. Okay. Uh, he had very severe mental degradation, severe mental issues. She met him in the grocery store when he was having trouble trying to check out and she helped him and she would go to his house and help him out, right? Now, initially, there's nothing wrong with that relationship right? That's a nice relationship. Um, she was apprehended when his attorney got a call saying, I need to change my will. And I want it all to go to, we'll call her Miss Sweet. Um, I want her to get everything, right? When 
the attorney gets a call like this. He says, mm, something's not right here. Yeah. Something, something's fishy about this. Calls Adult Protective Services. They go to his house, find the doors are modified to lock from the inside. There were open cans of cat food. Presumably, she was feeding him cat food. Yeah. And he was wearing soiled clothing. At her sentencing, she insisted that he was better off. Louis was his name. Louis was better off for meeting me. Because as bad as his situation was, it was worse before he met me. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Gosh. And, you know, this guy, I feel terrible for him. He's going, I mean, it's a night, that's a nightmare. I couldn't imagine living in those types of conditions, being locked alone in a house um, with someone forcing me to give them all their money, give, give me all my money. It's a nightmare. And she justifies it of, well, he could be worse. And there's always, always that rationalization there. Right. I I have heard that story. Um, I don't know if I read it somewhere or watched it on a series. It is familiar, though. I hope it wasn't me last time because I told that story often. Okay, maybe it was, but <laughs> but no, good good story. But but really appreciate you know the context here again on those major three and the listeners just to reiterate: look out for bad investments, look out for ripoffs, and of course look out for fraud. You know, got to be so careful out there. Um, you had a really good point before we hit record. If you know somebody that was a victim of these three things, especially fraud, how do you respond to circumstances like that? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the rationalization of the criminals. There's also a great degree of rationalization among the victims. And so another story, um, Charlie, Charlie was the criminal's name. Very, very charismatic guy. And even me working with him, knowing he was a criminal and my job was to take money back from him. Still love it. Like, oh man, I got to go spend a day with Charlie. All right. He's so, so immensely likable. I, I, you know, he just had that spark to him. Now he used that spark to steal millions of dollars from members mm-hmm. of his own community, members of his own church. His, his crime was um, what we refer to as affinity fraud. So he has a specific group that he goes after. And so um, he would target members of his church. Yeah. And basically it was just a really bad and he 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 had dead oil wells that he bought for basically nothing and then charged him uh you know twenty thirty thousand dollars for exploration rights and like hey give me some money and i'm gonna see if there's oil here and he didn't have to see that he already knew it was a bad well um but give me some money and we're gonna test it out and see if we can make a lot and then he'd go oh well didn't pan out sorry he pocketed the money and used it right? Um, he never, he, he would use the same exploration report for multiple people. So he'd go, he'd get it, he'd explore it. He knew it was a dead well, ask for money, and then show him the receipts for the dead well. And that was it. If you've seen the movie, The Producers, it's actually the exact same scam. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, uh, really nice guy. And some of his victims, think about it from their perspective. Old Charlie, Everybody loves him. He comes up to you and says, hey, you know what? I think we can get rich. I think you and I, we can go in this together and we can make a lot of money. Well, let's go 50-50. Let's go 50-50 and give me $5,000 and I'm going to go hire a prospector to come out to see if there's oil. And then he'd go back a few months later and say, you know what? 
he wasn't sure we need some more tests. We need to run some more tests and, and these ones are going to be more expensive. But, you know, if we strike oil, we're going to be really rich. And, you, you, you know, you already put the 5,000. Why not give me 10,000 this time? Give me 10,000. We'll get a really good test and, and we'll try to figure it out. And then you come back a month later and say, you know what? That test came back negative, but there's another spot on the claim. And maybe that spot will give us better results. Let's go to this other spot. Um, I just want to get the best testing off the bat. Why don't you give me $15,000 this time? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think the average amount he stole from his victims was about $20,000. And it was just these little increments. And I had a really difficult job collecting the money and giving it back to them. And they'd say, no, I don't want it. This is Charlie's money. This was a fraud. This was, this was a mistake. We, we just made a bad investment. And I said, no, Charlie lied to you. He never, he never intended to deliver. He knew there was no oil there. I said, no, no, no. Not Charlie, not Charlie. You, you just don't understand what's going on, right? Not Charlie, he wouldn't do that. And a lot of information comes in. You know, we have the receipts. We have proof that he knew. We had proof that he ran the prospecting reports before he asked for the money. We had proof of all of this stuff. And the people couldn't reconcile it with the way they thought the world worked. They couldn't fit it into their picture of the mm. world. And so they fight tooth and nail. And so make sure if you have somebody that you think might be the victim of especially fraud, but even just ripoffs or making these critical mistakes, you're not going to be able to change their mind. And that's something that's very difficult to hear, Um, especially if it's a loved one, especially, uh, you know, it, it can be anybody, but the one that's most heartbreaking, you have an elderly family member, they're relying on this money to live and they're falling for something like this. If you tell them this is a ripoff, they're going to outright reject it. Even, even if there's all this evidence out there and they know it, even if you have somebody who's a firm believer in crypto, it's going to be the new money. I put all my retirement into FTX. No, 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 no. It's going to be fine. You just don't understand, right? We have all this evidence piling up. Really ask questions. And see if you can get them asking questions. Yes. Because if it's their idea, if they, they need to be able to save face, they need to be able to be the hero of their own story. And you don't need to be the hero of this story. And in fact, you never will be. Because if you come in like a white knight, I'm here to save you because you're stupid and you need my help. They will never listen to a word you have to say. If you come in and say, hey, I'm ready to be your sidekick. You're the superhero here who has the smarts and the brain to get out of this scam. Then, then they're going to start accepting that information. And they need to be the hero of their own story. Everybody is the hero of their own story. And so really have that humility going in. Never, never tell them I told you so. And remember, they're... In addition to losing money, they're losing their pride. Yeah. They're losing their their sense of ability. They're, they're losing what they feel makes them a good investor. And that was part of their identity for so long. And partially, 
why we want to scream. I told you so, because if you were there, you know, three Christmases ago and say, Hey, look at this, this new blockchain, is going to make us all rich. We're all going to be millionaires. I put all my money. Oh, look at you messing around with stocks. You're going to lose so much. Ha ha ha. I'm so smart. We want to say, I told you so. We want to rub it in their faces, but remember, you know, we love them for a reason. And it's probably not their, uh, crypto knowledge. That's probably not the reason, but <laughs> that became part of their identity. That became part of who they are. And they're the ones that need to realize it's a scam. You knowing it's a scam doesn't help them. Right. Right. And you know, you no need to make them feel any worse than what they are. They could have lost a significant sum of money. You don't have to rub their face in the ground on it. So um, I love that. You know, there's so many opportunities out there, especially on social media, not just in person, but to really do the told you so and and uh, just be really cruel to people. It's like they know they made a mistake. Don't make it worse. So, good advice. And yeah, meet, you know, meet it with compassion, meet it with knowledge yeah. and saying, hey, right. Right. But understanding how the stock market works, understanding basic finance theory, understanding how things can turn around, asking questions, getting answers. That's yep. what that's what makes people good investors, yes. not tricking people, not yep. getting lucky. It's it's that and meet them there and ha- see if they can come along with you to say, yeah, we can do this. Mm-hmm. I can be a smart investor. I can be a good investor. I can be smart with my money. It doesn't, that scam doesn't have to define them. Right, right. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, this is Sean. I'd like to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for taking the time to listen to this one. I have a quick request. If you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review? The reason is the more ratings we get and the higher those ratings are, the more Apple will share us with the world. So thanks in advance for doing that. And then I have a quick comment. If there are any questions you want me to ask the guests, please head over to our ticker Facebook group. You could drop a question right there. I'll go ahead and make a note and I'll do my best to ask that question on the podcast. All right, back to the show. Well, thank you, Robert. What I'd like to do next is ask you two questions of a rapid fire round, and then I'll have you share the share with the audience where they can reach you. And that first question would be, what is a, uh, I'll actually start with the podcast. What is a recent podcast you're listening to right now? Uh, I just started with Odd Lots from okay. um, Bloomberg. Fantastic. Really good in-depth stuff. Um, and it, they look at some of the less common elements of finance. Um, they're also talking a lot about FTX right now. Okay. <laughs> it's a hot topic. Hot topic. Odd, odd lots. I'll add it to the list. Thank you. And next question is on the book. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? Um, so it's, there, there's, I'm going to cheat a little. There's two. An mm-hmm. illustrated book of bad arguments is where to start. And if you like that one, the next one is uh, illustrated book of loaded language. Both of those are by Ali Al-Mosawi, and they really do a great job of laying out how people lie and how you can think in a conversation so you're not getting lied to. You can deconstruct some of the arguments that are there. Got it. Just rephrase those again. Illustrated. I'm going to Amazon as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Illustrated book of bad arguments. Got it. Equal an illustrated book of loaded language. Got it. The book of bad arguments, that's that one's really good. 
start there. That one's my favorite. But they, they all have information that can help you not get lied to and see through deceptive tactics. Um, really great. Really great. I love it. All right. I'm actually, I just found it on Amazon. <laughs> Adding to cart as we speak. Wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right. Where can the audience reach you? So I can be found at my website, which is delagify.com. That's D-E-L-A-G-I-F-Y. We also have a newsletter and content to help you not get ripped off. And of course, you can always give me a call, get my contact information from there. We're happy to help clients keep their money by avoiding scams, ripoffs, and mistakes. Awesome. Thank you, Robert. Always love having you on the show. Wonderful. Thanks. All right. We'll see ya. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for spending some time with me. Also, if you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? The more reviews we get, the more Apple will share this podcast with the world. So thanks for doing that. And last thing, if you do hear any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not make a buy or sell decision based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later. See ya.